Our text is John 21, and I do promise that we will get there eventually. Uh, this morning, Dal said to me, if I, I said, I'm used to preaching 50 minutes, and he said, if you want this congregation to still love you, you better take that back to 30 minutes. So, I promise I will keep a close watch on the time. But I apologize this morning, we're going to be traveling at a breakneck, breakneck speed to get to John 21 because there's, there's a lot of context that we need before we get to the shore of Tiberias. Peter, he's called by Paul a pillar of the church. Peter preached nonstop from the day of Pentecost on. Peter, who was instrumental in taking the gospel to the Gentiles first, not Paul. It was he who first went to Cornelius in Acts 10. He's this amazing shepherd in the early church, and yet he's the most approachable because we get so much of his character, good and bad. He's called the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth because so often he spoke when he shouldn't have. Peter was bold. He was impetuous. He was infallible, or he was fallible. He denied his Lord. But later, the apostle Peter is restored by Jesus by being reminded that to love him is to obey him. This morning, I'm probably not going to tell you anything you don't know, but what we're going to do is I'm going to lay some passages and juxtapose them together, um, and perhaps you will see just how profound Peter's denial is and how penetrating the rebuke and restoration of Christ, um, the rebuke of Christ is in his restoration. Well, let's first look at Christ's prediction and Peter's pride. You remember at the Passover meal, earlier in the meal, he told them, he dropped a bombshell. He said, one of you is going to deny me. And what did the disciples do? Instead of being humble and saying, is it me, Lord? Is it me? They argue that it couldn't be, it couldn't be me. It couldn't be me. None of them are humble. In fact, near the end of the Passover meal, they're found to argue who's the greatest. Their pride is out of control. And in the most trying time in our Lord's humanity, Christ, He's always so gracious. He hints that although He is the greatest among them, it is he who is one who is found to be the servant among them. Well, at that last Passover meal, they sing a hymn and they go to the Mount of Olives. Christ reveals yet another bombshell. They think that this is, they've already had two Passover meals. There's going to be no difference in this one. Christ says, you will all fall away. You will all desert me tonight. Peter thinks not. Turn to Luke 22. Okay, so put a finger in John 21, put a thumb in Luke 22, and I guess uh, a pinky in uh, Mark 16. Peter thinks not. Luke 22, verse 31. Listen to our Lord's words. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded Permission to sift you like wheat. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
and that you, once you have turned again, will strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. Matthew and Mark record that Peter says, you know, even though all will fall away, I won't. I'll be faithful. In fact, all the other disciples, they say the same. Jesus, whom they know always had spoken the absolute truth, they doubt his words. Because in their pride, they know better. They know their hearts better than the Lord of all. Notice that Satan demands permission to sift Peter like wheat, and Jesus doesn't say no. It's as if he says, go ahead and try. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you. At Jesus' words, Peter should have been humble. But Jesus is so gracious, and he says that afterwards you're even going to be restored. Peter would need this later. He would need this as he thought back. Right before Jesus is arrested, he gives to his disciples such comfort, and we don't have time to go through it, but in John chapters 14 through 16, such comfort. He knows he's going away. He gives them this comfort, and then it culminates in the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17. He, it's the most excruciating time in the, the darkest hours of his humanity, and he prays for all those who would be his own, even us. We are in John 17 because we are those who would believe as a part of their word. The disciples, they're anything but vigilant. They can't keep and watch and pray just one hour so that they wouldn't fall into temptation, Christ tells them. And temptation was coming swiftly. Peter's denial. As you know, Jesus is betrayed by Judas with a kiss. We talked about him in Sunday school. 30 pieces of silver. A little bit of money. The Romans and the officers of the high priest, they come to arrest Jesus. Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. He brought swords, um, ostensibly to defend Christ, as if Christ needed defense. And so he swings, and obviously he was not aiming for the ear, I bet he was aiming for the head, but Malchus, but whoo! But this is an important detail for later. Christ stops it and immediately heals Malchus. Heals him right before he's arrested. Well, the disciples scatter. But Peter and John, we're told, they follow at a distance. We're told that John is known by the high priest, and we don't really understand all that that means, but it enabled him to not only follow Christ being arrested to Caiaphas' house, but to enter in into the high priest's house. And he even brings Peter in. And as Peter comes in, the first denial happens because the woman at the door says in John 18, you are not also one of this man's disciples. Also. She says also. John was known by the high priest. Obviously, he is known as a disciple. And yet, 
Peter is unwilling to admit he is because he says, I am not. Let that sink in. I am not. She didn't ask whether he's guilty of a crime. She said, are you a disciple of Jesus? Peter says, I am not. This is Peter. This is the apostle Peter. There's no one closer to the Lord. He was first to make the confession of faith. Revealed him by the Father. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, Jesus says, when his disciples left, you don't also want to go away, do you? He says, where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. This is Peter. He saw Jesus heal countless people. He saw Jesus eradicate pretty much sickness in a three-year period in this small, tiny Palestine, Israel. He heard him baffle the Pharisees, confound the Sadducees. He saw how he knew way more than any religious leader. He saw Jesus calm the storm. The storm that he grew up fishing on, this sea. He knew this sea. He knew this sea didn't just calm down. But Christ said, be still, and it did. He walked on the water by Christ's power. He saw Christ, we saw in Sunday school a few weeks ago, drive out a legion of demons. And when he's asked, are you a disciple? He says, I am not. He saw Jesus Christ's pre-incarnate glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah. He saw Jairus' daughter raised to life. One of the few. He was taken with Peter, James, and John. Jairus' parents, or Jairus and his wife and his daughter and Christ, they were privy to this. Last week in Sunday school we saw, he saw Lazarus dead in the tomb four days, raised to life. Who can raise the dead? A great rabbi? No. Only Jesus Christ, whom he knows is God, can raise the dead. You're one of his disciples, right? I am not. He's okay with his lie. He enters into the high priest's house with John. They're warming themselves by the fire. John tells us it's cold. That's an eyewitness detail that only John would know. And because Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level in the spring, it would be cold. They're warming themselves by a charcoal fire. By the fire, another maid and some others accuse him as well. Surely you're a disciple of Christ. Peter again says, I am not. During this time, we know Jesus is interrogated. He's being beaten. He's being scoffed at. He's being ridiculed. An hour passes from the time of his second denial. Some other servants come over. One servant is a relative of the poor Shlomozel that got his ear cut off. It's his relative, and it's this detail that we know John is an eyewitness account because he was known to the high priest. And he knew the household of the high priest, and therefore he knew Malchus, and he knew Malchus, his relative here. 
So this relative comes, who was in the garden, and he says, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? Matthew records as well, they say, your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean, obviously. You know him. Galilee's not that big. Mark 14, 71. But he began to curse. And swear, I do not know this, this man you're talking about. Luke 22. Luke records that while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter and caught his eye. Luke 22:62, And he went out and wept bitterly. We leave this scene too fast. Before he went out. Thinking of what just happened and what could have happened. He goes out and weeps bitterly. But do you realize what could have happened right there? As he caught the glance of his Lord, he could have said, Forgive me, Lord, I, I lied. I do know him. I'm his closest companion. I know the man. I know the man. Arrest me. I'm his disciple. Question me. Crucify me with him. He's my Lord. But that didn't happen. The fear of man is still gripping Peter's heart. He weeps bitterly, not only because he has denied his Lord, but because he mourns that he, he still is unwilling to admit he's dis his disciple. Still unwilling to admit that he knows Christ. He's so ashamed. He's so wretched. And he's additionally wretched because Christ's words would be echoing over and over in his ears. Matthew 10, he would remember these words. He would so remember these words. You will be hated by all because of my name. Your disciples, you disciples are not above your master. They persecuted me. They will persecute you. Don't fear them. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. And then verse 32 would just be echoing and echoing in his mind. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. These words for these few days must have haunted Peter. And verse 38 would have haunted him as well. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Peter understood whom he denied. Make no mistake. He didn't just deny the Messiah. He didn't just deny a prophet. He didn't just deny a good rabbi. Do you think anyone can just control the weather? Do you think anyone can just resurrect the dead? He knew by this time he had denied the Lord of all. Peter feared men, even though his Lord, the one who created all, the one who wrote the law, the one who created everything, was being beaten and tortured, and yet he feared those who could kill the body.
Well, he doesn't stick around. He leaves. And he leaves his brothers. I'm sure he would hear that the Lord had been crucified in the next day or two. We don't see him again in the gospel accounts until Jesus is resurrected. His proud words of that night of the Passover would echo in his ears over and over. They would haunt him. Lord, even though everyone leaves, I'll stay faithful. I'll be there to the end. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die. I will never deny you, Lord, even though all fall away. And it's only by the grace of God that Peter didn't kill himself. His remorse and his sorrow would be almost unbearable. But he would remember that Jesus prayed for him and told him his faith wouldn't fail. Christ is raised. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, they go to the tomb, they go to anoint the body, and they find an empty tomb. They find an angel there. And Mark, through Mark's gospel, turn to Mark 16, your thumb or your pinky. Mark pens his gospel, but he, he pens it through, through the superintending of Peter. And Peter makes sure that Mark records this detail at the end of his gospel. Mark 16, verse 6. In the mouth of this angel at the tomb, he tells these women, Do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, he, here is the place where they laid him. And then look at verse 7. But go tell his disciples... And tell Peter, tell Peter, one who had denied him so profoundly. The angel tells the women, go find Peter. Tell him that Christ is raised. And tell him he'll meet him in Galilee. Well, the women come, they find Peter. They find John. They tell him both. Both race to the tomb. And it's really a funny scene in John 20, if you've ever read it, because they run to the tomb, but John is always careful to say that he ran faster and got there first. He wanted to record for all time, I ran faster than Peter. Well, they don't find him there. And they go to Galilee. And they await the Lord. And they get impatient. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the brothers Zebedee are not far behind. They fish all night and catch nothing. This is their trade. This is what they do. They grew up fishing on this lake that we call the Sea of Galilee. Fish all night. They know the bait to use. They know the fish. They know where they bite, where they don't bite, what time of day they would bite. They catch nothing. And if you'll remember, this happened before in Christ's ministry, early on. 
They fished all night. They caught nothing. Christ came. Then he got into Peter's boat. He led out from shore, and he taught. And after he was done teaching, it says, he said, hey, get in your boat a little bit from shore. Let down your nets. And Peter says, Lord, we fished all night, and we caught nothing. But at your word, we'll do it. And perhaps, if not aloud, he jeered in his spirit. He did not think he was going to catch anything. He knew better than Christ. And they let down their nets, and they have a huge catch of fish. And that's why Peter fell at his feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Because he didn't believe Christ's words. Well, in John 21, someone on the shore yells to them, Children, let down your nets on the right side. And perhaps if they wouldn't have had this experience before, they would have said, thank you, and just gone about their business. Said, oh, we, yeah, we didn't try that. Oh, guys, let's put it on the right side of the net, or the right side of the boat. We haven't tried that. So they do. And they catch 153 fish. As they're pulling them in, John, the beloved apostle, turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. You'll remember the scene. Peter puts on his, his clothes, jumps into the water, leaving the other disciples in the boat to wrangle the fish. He got the Lord's message. He needs to see his Lord. He doesn't even want to paddle. He just wants to swim. Beeline for the Lord. He doesn't even know what he's going to say to him. We see Peter's rebuke and restoration. So we find ourselves on this shore of the lake that we call sea of, the Sea of Galilee with a bunch of ragtag fishermen and the resurrected Lord eating broiled fish and bread for breakfast. John 21, verse 15. When therefore they ate breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he says to him. Feed my lambs. I believe that these are either the, the fish or the nets or um, uh, their tackle or the boats. It's something to remind Peter of his old life. Because Christ, you'll remember, had made him a fisher of men. And Peter is seen now as going back to the fish. And he says, feed my lambs. I have put you in charge of shepherding. This is where you should be. This is what you should be doing. And I'm sure many of you know that in this, these verses, Jesus uses a word for love. Peter uses a word for love. But it is not the same word. Jesus uses the agape love word. Jesus uses a word that so often in Scripture meant that unconditional, that sacrificial love. You know it best in John 3.16, for God so agape loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You'll remember it in greater agape love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 
This is the love that we're talking about. This is the love that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus asked him, do you agape love me? Peter couldn't use the same word. He would have been the biggest hypocrite to not only his brothers, but his own heart. He knew how profound the nature of his denial. He had denied being a disciple of the Lord. How could he use this word? It's as if Jesus was saying to him, Peter, do you love me enough to sacrifice all? Do you love me enough to go to the cross? He couldn't use this word. He didn't. Peter takes it down a notch. He uses a different love. It means I'm your friend or I like you. Verse 16. Jesus says to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape love me? He says to him, yes, Lord. You know that I like you. He says to him, shepherd my sheep. Peter had denied his Lord three times. Jesus gives Peter three chances to confess his love for his Lord and to be restored as the under-shepherd of the flock. The Lord again uses this agape love. Peter again brings it down a notch. Verse 17, he says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you like me? Peter was sad because Jesus said to him a third time, do you like me? And he says to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And now Jesus changes the language. And in using the word, he adopts the word that Peter has been using now. And he says, Peter, do you even like me? Peter, are we even friends? This would have cut Peter to his heart. And they're not harsh words. Make no mistake, they're not harsh words. They're deeply penetrating words which strike at the core of Peter's denial. The core of Peter's unfaithfulness. Peter's forced to put the details of his denial into perspective. Peter had not only denied being a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he had said, I don't know the man. He's not even a, an acquaintance of mine. How can he now use this word that he uses? I'm your friend. I, I like you. Jesus calls into question even this word because Peter's actions belie his words. Peter is rightly grieved. But Jesus' words, they're not harsh. They act as Hebrews 4.12 acts. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what Christ's words did. They penetrated Peter's very soul. But notice, Peter, when he cannot use the agape love, appeals to the Lord's omniscience each time. In verse 17, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that you are my friend. 
Peter knew that even though it didn't look like it, even though his actions had been like an unbeliever, like someone who was not a disciple, even though a few days previous he had denied his lords in the most explicit ways, the faith that he had was real. It was a divine faith. He didn't know of Jesus being the Christ in his own spirit, but the Father had revealed this. The love that was in Peter's heart that he was trying to confess was put there by God. Yes, he had failed, but his divine faith had not failed. These few acts could not define Peter because his identity is found in Christ. Therefore, he appeals to Christ's omniscience. The fact that he could look into Peter's heart, and even though his actions didn't prove it, even though his actions weren't evidence of it, Christ could look in his heart and see that divine faith. He could see that divine love that was put there by Christ himself. Jesus then tells Peter how he will glorify God. And even though he didn't do it at this point, he will later. He will glorify God in his death. And then he says, follow me. And he means, take your cross, Peter. This is the depths of the forgiveness of our Lord. He didn't cast off Peter. It's a reminder for us all as well. Even though we are not pastors, all of us, it's an apt reminder coming from the study of the Good Shepherd himself in Psalm 23. We love, if we love Christ, we need to be faithful and use those gifts that we have to encourage and build up the sheep. That is the body of Christ. We need to show the evidence of the love in our hearts by using our gifts. Jesus restores Peter and in so doing shows him that to agape love him is to obey him. He shows him that to agape love him is to fear God rather than men, no matter the cost. And he shows him that to agape love him is to pick up your cross and follow him. Spray. Father, I pray that this message would sink in. That as we see the profound denial of Peter, as our heart breaks for him, that you would help us to see how unfaithful we have been, how we have denied you with our actions. So often, Father, our lips do your service but our hearts are far from you. Father, I pray this morning that as we dwell on this passage of Scripture in light of you as the great shepherd, you constantly superintend your sheep as we see in the life of Peter, bringing him back when nothing else could help love lifted Peter. And we know, Father, that when nothing else could help, love lifts us. Father, I pray this morning that we would dwell on these things and see how we might need to change. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.